Hey, good morning and welcome to week five of our Essentialism Sermon Series. Over the last several weeks, we have been talking about the spiritual practices that we can use as tools to help us discover and unpack and reclaim and refocus on what truly is most important in our life. And so over the last several weeks, we have looked at several different spiritual practices that we've encouraged you to participate in, to kind of take on and try out in your own life. And it's something that we're doing as a team and as a church community together. And so kind of over the last couple of weeks, I have kind of demonstrated and checked in about how these practices are going in my life. And so I want to make sure that I do that again as well. So I'm slowly making progress, I think. Uh, Not every day is awesome. Not every day do I get a gold star. But I do think that I'm starting to feel a little bit of momentum. I'm starting to kind of identify this routine and this habit um, of making time first thing in the morning. That's kind of what I do is I kind of get up and get situated. And then I find myself in this kind of closet that I've created that blocks out all of the noise and all of the distractions of my life and of the world around me. And it really kind of helps me focus in. So I light a little candle in this closet and I kind of center myself, take a couple of deep breaths, begin my kind of portion of the prayer. And then I kind of spend a little bit of space and silence listening to God, hoping to kind of feel his presence, to reconnect to God in that moment. And and then after last week, we introduced kind of this practice of self-examination. And so I've been using those 22 questions that we've shared as kind of this way to kind of hold a mirror up to myself, to begin to be honest about how I'm doing, how my life is going, how my spiritual life, what its health and stage of maturity is. And so uh, this last week, uh, to be honest, I made it all the way to Thursday before I remembered about the 22 questions. So I preach a whole sermon on it, encourage you to use these 22 questions in your life, and then I totally forgot to incorporate them in my life until Thursday. So Thursday morning, I wake up, get in the closet, and then I begin to ask the questions. And I gotta say that it is an uncomfortable, it's an uncomfortable experience. Those questions are penetrating, and they're invasive, and they make you feel, at least they made me feel guilty and a little ashamed about the way that uh, I live my life, maybe the areas that I need to improve upon. And so at the end of those 22 questions over the last several days, uh, I kind of come to this conclusion that it's like, wow, I'm not nearly as good of a person as I think I am or as I hope to be or as I want to be or maybe uncomfortably as I claim to be. And so these questions have really uh, caused me to kind of swallow a big dose of humility because of the way that, you know, I I don't measure up to the certain standards that I I set for myself, I want for myself, that I believe Christ holds me to. And so it's kind of been a tough process for me to navigate these questions, to examine my own life, and then to reflect on the gap between where I am and where I want to be. And and most mornings, I acknowledge that there's still a pretty big gap uh, between those two versions of me. And so the result of that not only has been this dose of humility, but also this reminder that uh, I could never be good enough on my own. It wouldn't matter how disciplined I was, how spiritual I was, you know, how um, saintly I tried to live my life uh, based on my own powers, my own merits, my own efforts. It's never going to be enough. I'm always going to fall short. I'm always going to miss the mark and not live up to the expectations that, that I have and that God sets for us. And I think part of the self-examination practice is that's the point. Not to make us feel bad about ourselves, but to help us recognize that it is only by the grace of God that we're able to do this. 
And so that's kind of the other benefit of this practice of self-examination that I've experienced over these last couple of days. It's just a reminder of how much I need God, how much I need God to work in my life, to lead me, to guide me, to remind me of the ways that I need to act and to live and to think and the choices that I should and shouldn't make and the, the type of leader and friend and family member that I should be to all of the people and all of the relationships in my life. And, and so it's a reminder that it's not that Stephen's so great or that Stephen can do this on his own, but that it's God at work in my life that moves me, that is the animating force in my life, drawing me closer to Christ and closer to his example. And so I hope that this self-examination practice has been troubling for you in a good way. I hope that it's caused you to be a little more introspective and a little more honest with maybe how you're living and lead you to a place uh, of acknowledging that we all fall short and that God's grace is at work in our life. And so that's the hope of, of this practice of self-examination, which kind of leads us into today's topic in this new practice that we're going to talk about. Because at the end of all of this acknowledgement of the ways that we need God and depend on God, uh, I come to this place of gratitude, of appreciation for the fact that God hasn't left me on to my own devices and up to my own actions and efforts and abilities that he's at work in my life. And that's what we're talking about this morning is the practice of gratitude. And I think probably of all of the practices that we're going to talk about in this series, gratitude is probably the one that for most of us feels the most familiar. It's the one that feels the most accessible that may be like, oh yeah, 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 I understand that. I've got my arms around this practice of gratitude. Uh, but really, I think we misunderstand it. I think we kind of minimize and trivialize gratitude to this feeling that we experience, to this emotion that we feel as a result of the good things in our life. So, you know, typically at Thanksgiving, you'll hear a sermon about the importance of gratitude and you'll go around the table and talk about the things that you're grateful for. And it's usually kind of these high level, I'm grateful for my family, I'm grateful for my health, all of these kind of high level ideas. And this is all fine because those are things to be grateful for, but we, we end up treating gratitude as a feeling. And there's a problem with that, because the first problem with treating gratitude in this way and thinking about gratitude in this way is just a feeling and a response to a set of circumstances in our life is that inevitably the things that we feel grateful for, that feeling of gratitude for those things, will eventually fade. We all recognize that we have experience things in our life that we were so grateful for at first, but over time, as familiarity increases, as exposure increases, we're not quite as grateful for those same things, maybe as we used to be. Perfect example, the moment that maybe you had your first child, you hold this baby and you just are in awe and wonder and amazement, overwhelming gratitude and emotion for this gift of life that you have in your family. And then some time passes, maybe it's a couple of months, maybe it's a decade, maybe it's two decades of exposure and interaction and challenges and difficulties with this same child. And now most of the feelings that you feel for your child or your children is not gratitude. It's actually frustration, irritation, disappointment, whatever the feelings are, but it's likely not the same level and amount of gratitude that you had for your children as when they were first born. Why? Well, it's not because you don't love them less. It's because inevitably when gratitude is reduced to a feeling, it fades over time. 
We also see this in our relationships. You start dating somebody that you really like and all of the little things that they do for you are so special and you tell your friends about all of the ways that they show up for you or take care of you and it feels so good and so nice and you're so grateful for it. And then after time, inevitably you come to anticipate that they'll continue to do those things and you begin to expect them to do those things and so those initial feelings of gratitude begin to fade and you don't feel that feeling of gratitude anymore. It moves to expectation and then anticipation. And when they don't do those things anymore, you're like, hey, what a minute, what happened? You, you no longer receive them as a gift. They're more an obligation now. This is why gratitude can't just be a feeling in our life. The other reason it can't just be a feeling is because typically we associate the feeling of gratitude with positive life circumstances. So gratitude is connected to when things are good, when the stock market is at an all-time high, when our kids achieve something in their you know, extracurricular activities, whether it's in drama or theater or it's in sports or you know, choir, whatever it is, when something good happens externally, you know, that's when we connect it to the feeling of gratitude, when we get a promotion at work or, you know, um, whatever it may be. Our team wins the Super Bowl if you're rooting for one of the two teams this weekend. Any of those things, these external factors, these external events that happen, when they happen and we view them favorably, when we think that they're good and we're grateful for them, that's when we connect it to this feeling of gratitude. Well, the problem with that is you're always going to need life to go your way. You're always going to need life to work out the way that you want it to. For you to be able to experience gratitude, if gratitude is reduced to a feeling as the result of and as the byproduct of favorable circumstances. So things always have to work out. You always get the job. You always get the promotion. They always call you back. Whatever the categories may be in our life, you never get sick. Everyone that you love... Everything always goes well in their life. And come on, we know that's not how life goes. The last 11 months have been the perfect example and illustration about how life doesn't go the way that we want it to go always. And so if gratitude is only this thing that we can experience and feel in relationship to in connection with positive circumstances, when we find ourselves in difficult moments, then we inevitably feel like and believe that we're not able to, to experience gratitude. And that's why gratitude can't be a feeling. Gratitude has to be something more than just this emotion based on positive life circumstances. And so today we're going to clarify what gratitude really is. Because if it's just a feeling and it's just based on good circumstances, it has no value for us in life. It will inevitably fade, life circumstances will change, and we won't be able to maintain gratitude. But what we see time and time again in Scripture is this call to be grateful, this call to be thankful, especially in the midst of difficult circumstances, especially when times are hard, especially when we feel anxious and afraid, especially in moments of pain and suffering and loss and tragedy. These are the moments that Scripture calls us to be grateful. And so how can gratitude exist in difficult moments, in this, in this you know, circumstance of unfavorable situations, when... It, it's just a feeling. It's because it's not. Gratitude is actually a practice. It's not an emotion. It's an experience. It's an action. It's a series of shifts in perspective. It's a different mindset, and it's a way to view life and to view the world around you uh, in a different lens than just, I, I feel good when good things happen to me. 
And so let me read to you kind of a definition from maybe the foremost expert and researcher on gratitude. Now, gratitude has kind of been in vogue for a while now. Many of you have probably had the experience of a gratitude journal, and that's all good. Those are all good things. But uh, what inevitably ends up happening is we take gratitude out of its original kind of religious context and spiritual context and we move it in kind of into this social science marketplace and we think that gratitude is this new social discovery that uh, is a life hack the way to improve our life but let me read to you this kind of researcher and the foremost expert on gratitude his definition of gratitude and let me show you what this practice of gratitude the spiritual discipline of gratitude will actually look like in our life So this is what he says. Dr. Robert Emmons, he defines gratitude as having two parts. The first part of gratitude is affirming goodness in one's life. And the second part is recognizing that the sources of this goodness lie, at least partially, outside of ourselves. Let me read it again. Dr. Robert Emmons, his definition of gratitude has two parts. The first is gratitude affirms the goodness of one's life. And second, it recognizes, gratitude recognizes that the sources of goodness, at least partially, lie outside of ourselves. So let's look at this first part. This idea of gratitude and the practice of gratitude being affirming the goodness in one's life. This is truly about identifying and naming all of the good things in our life. This is directly what the gratitude journal and that habit of identifying the things that you're grateful for, naming the things that you're grateful for, this is kind of where this comes out of. And this is a good thing. We need to name and identify the things that we're grateful for, the goodness in our lives. And the reason that we need to name all of the good things in our lives is because the natural gravitational pull of ourselves, of the world around us, is to identify what we don't have is to begin to focus on what's missing, what's not there, what's lacking, the scarcity around us. Because as we've talked about over the last several weeks, we are inclined to believe the whispers and the lies of the world around us that call us to more, that we don't have enough, that we need the next thing. And once we get that thing, then we can have the satisfaction and the peace and contentment that we're looking for. But it's constantly based on what's missing. It's about that you don't have the house that you need to be happy. It's that you don't have the relationship that is truly going to kind of expand your ability to be loved and to celebrate love and experience love in your own life. It's all about what's missing. It's all about what's not there. That's the natural gravitational pull. We all know this from, you know, kind of our experiences at Christmas, whether it's you as a child or children in your family, that they could have 12 presents, 20 presents, 100 presents under the tree. And if there's a particular present that they are hoping for and looking for, they can open all of the other gifts and then ask the question, how come I didn't get or where is the fill in the blank? In the midst of all of the abundance and all of the goodness and all of the presence that they experience, they focus on what's not there. Now, it's not just kids who do this. Teenagers, adults, we do this as well. Think about the beautiful homes that we have. Someone would walk, could walk into your home who maybe doesn't have the same type of house that you do and they're amazed about how beautiful your house is, all of the things that you have, all of the beautiful furniture and decorations that you have, all of the extra rooms and different things that your house has that maybe their house or apartment doesn't have. And they go on and on and you kind of like, oh, thank you so much. And then they leave and then what do you do? All you see is what's missing. All you see is the next remodel that you need to do. All you see is the scarcity, the lack, the more that is needed in your life. 
This is just a natural human tendency that we focus on what's missing. We focus on what we don't have. We focus on the things that we long for, that are absent, that are missing. We focus on all of the things that aren't present. So the power of gratitude and the practice of gratitude in our life is about naming the things that are there. Because what happens is we find what we focus on. If we focus on the things that are missing, then we will find more and more instances of what isn't present in our life. This happens in our relationships. When you focus on the ways that the person that you care about isn't meeting your expectations or isn't doing this or you know, whatever it may be, what you find is more and more instances of where that's true. But if we approach our relationships through the practice and the lens of gratitude, when we begin to focus on all of the things that they do for us that they didn't have to do, and we treat those actions as gifts, which they are, and we remove our expectations, what you see is they do so many things for us that we don't always acknowledge or appreciate. This is kind of how the practice of gratitude can begin to shift the lens in our mind. It can change our mindset to begin to see all of the goodness around us. This is why gratitude journals work, because they help us to begin to identify and to see more instances of all of the good things that exist in our life. Now, as we begin to do this, I think one of the things that I have experienced in my life and I have found to be true in this practice of gratitude, especially as it relates to a gratitude journal, is recognizing that uh, I typically stay at about 30,000 feet when I look at the things in my life that I need to be grateful for. I, I kind of count the big picture, the big ticket items in my life. So in my gratitude journal practices in the past, it would look like this. It would be like, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my job. I'm grateful for, you know, and I stay really high level. Maybe you've done this as well. Well, what I've experienced is when I stay so high level, when I stay so zoomed out and count the big items, the, you know, the large components of my life that I'm grateful for, is I run out of things to be grateful for. So instead of naming my specific you know, friends and family members that I'm grateful for, I just count my friends and family as one category. Well, inevitably, this practice of gratitude runs out of steam and it runs out of momentum when we run out of things seemingly that are, we feel like we run out of things to be grateful for. So one of the things that's really helpful as we kind of develop this practice of gratitude is getting as small and as specific and as granular as possible. So one example of this would look like instead of saying, God, I'm thankful for my child. Well, based on however many children you've got, that's how many entries you have you know, to be grateful for if you're naming children. But think about how many more things you have to be grateful for if you start to break down the specifics of the different things that you're grateful for with your child. God, I'm so grateful for my child. I'm grateful for the way that he laughs at movies, how that deep belly laugh just fills our house, how he's so joyful. God, I'm grateful for his smile, the way that he can light up a room and he lights up my life when he or she looks at me. God, I'm grateful for their freckles or their dimples. God, I'm grateful for how peaceful they look at night when they sleep. God, I'm grateful that my child has a healthy body, that they love to be active, that they're curious about the world, that they're precocious and ask questions. I love that the way that they're not afraid to take chances or I love the way that they're intimidated and shy and need a little bit of... It goes on and on and on. And you can see how when you start to get, you know, you start to drill down and get more and more specific about the smaller little instances and details of something that you're grateful for. It doesn't have to be just with a person or a child. You can do this in any category of your life. God, I'm grateful for my job. 
I'm grateful for the way that I have the freedom to set my own hours. I'm grateful for the flexibility that it gives me to prioritize my tasks according to kind of my discretion. God, I'm grateful for the people that I get to work with, the way that they motivate me, inspire me to be a, you know, better in my role or better as a leader. As it goes on and on, and the more specific we get, here's what we find. It's like walking onto a beach and saying, God, I'm grateful for this sand. Well, now we're done. we got to go find a new beach. But imagine if you walked up and you grabbed a grain of sand. And you said, God, I'm grateful for this grain of sand. And then you picked up another grain of sand. And you said, God, I'm grateful for this grain of sand. Well, you could imagine, instead of running out of beaches in the world, you would have an infinite number of grains of sand to be grateful for. Now, I don't expect us to go out and be grateful for individual grains of sand, but you get the point. When we look at our lives as a category and as a whole, we begin to identify all of the little things. And the more that we identify the littlest things, the more that we realize that there is an infinite abundance of things for us to be grateful for. This is how the practice of gratitude can begin to shift our mindset. It can begin to shift our understanding about all that is around us. So instead of looking at our circumstances and waiting to feel the feeling of gratitude when things go our way or life aligns according to our wishes, this practice of gratitude, when we begin to identify, and we begin to name even the smallest components of our life that are good, that are gifts, that are unexpected, that are positive and beneficial, we realize that we are surrounded, we are surrounded by abundance. And this abundance can change our understanding of our life. So no longer are we looking at our life and identifying the things that we don't have and living out of a place of scarcity. But instead, we realize the infinite, the vast deserts of goodness that our lives are built on. All of the different grains of sand that we have to be thankful for. All of the individual grains of goodness that exist in our life. And when we see the totality of this abundance, it leads us to the next place in this practice of gratitude. The second component that Dr. Emmons describes. So what he says is, again, the first step is affirming goodness in one's life. The second is recognizing that the sources of this goodness lie, at least partially, outside of ourself. And that's really what we see happens, is we recognize that the source of goodness in our life isn't ultimately us. It doesn't matter how self-made you are. It doesn't matter if you have always been the one who put yourself through school and worked extra hours and extra jobs to get the extra promotions, and you were the one who always did the things at all of the times and all of the moments, and nobody seemingly gave you a hand, and you scraped and you clawed and you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. Even the most self-made person, when you begin this practice of gratitude, when you begin to recognize the abundance of goodness that exists in our lives, even the most self-made person, if they're truly honest, can only come to the conclusion that this goodness doesn't come from just them. And that's a powerful shift in our lives when we recognize that we are not the source of all of the goodness in our life, that there is goodness that exists outside of us and our creation that we are just recipients of. It begins to shift our understanding about how important our life circumstances are. Because the frustration and the difficulty of unfavorable life circumstances is we can't control them. We have lost control. We have lost the ability to manage. And so we begin to feel anxious and fearful because we don't have control of what's happening around us. Because typically, if we're not in the practice of gratitude, we assume that we control all of life around us. And of course, we all know that is a lie. 
COVID has been the perfect example of how we are actually not in control. And yet, despite our lack of control, goodness still exists in our lives. Goodness still exists in our families and in our communities and in our world. And so what this practice of gratitude allows us to do is to shift our understanding about where we can place our hope and trust. It's not in these favorable circumstances, but it's in this place where we recognize and we identify that goodness comes from somewhere else. This abundance of goodness comes from outside of ourselves. It comes from God. And so we can begin to place our hope and our trust in God in that moment. And so it helps us to begin to shift our mindset. It helps us to begin to shift our perspective on how our life should go, how our life could go. Because when we recognize that ultimately goodness comes from outside of ourselves, we begin to let go of the need to try to control all of the people in our lives, all of the things in our lives, to just receive them as gifts, to receive all of the goodness that comes our way as a blessing and acknowledge that God is the source. This is kind of the whole category of the Psalms, is this acknowledgement, is this recognition, is this thanking of God for God's goodness in their life, oftentimes, and most of the time, in the midst of unfavorable unfortunate, difficult, hard, trying circumstances. We typically think that if gratitude's a feeling, it can only exist in positive life circumstances. But the practice of gratitude helps us recognize and understand that it's precisely in the most difficult moments that this practice of gratitude helps us lift our heads up to recognize we weren't in control, that goodness comes from God, and that it's going to be okay. You know, Paul, in writing to the churches in the, you know, in the early first century that we see in the New Testament, he talks about this connection between thanksgiving, between gratitude, and then this peace of God. He says this in Colossians 3. He talks about the peace of God that is available to us when we acknowledge and we are grateful for all of the goodness that exists in life, all of the goodness that comes from God. And the reason is, is because this peace comes from acknowledging a greater power, a greater source, that goodness flows not out of our own efforts and our own doings, but from God himself. And so when we kind of put all of this together and think about what this practice of gratitude could look like in our life, what we see is this need for a regular, consistent opportunity to identify and name the goodness in our life and to acknowledge that the source of that goodness isn't us, at least partially. Now, there might be things that we do in the, in the fruits of our efforts and labors we receive, but you can identify any category of effort that you do. You could trace it back far enough and recognize it actually doesn't come from you. So even if you worked really hard your whole life and you made you know, a successful career, where did the gift of life come from? Where did the life force that animates your life on a daily basis come from? You did not birth yourself. You did not animate yourself on a daily basis. This is, these things are all gifts. So no matter how self-made we are, we can recognize that there is a greater source to the goodness in our life than just ourselves. And so we need this regular practice. I think a great way to do this is to set time throughout today to begin to name, to begin to identify, to speak it out loud, to write it down, these small moments of goodness, this beach of goodness that we can live in and play in and reside in. And so one idea could be that you use meals as the opportunity to do that. However many meals you eat in a day, 
Use those meals not as just an opportunity to thank God for the food that you have available to you, but as the cause and the you know, impetus and the reminder to begin to identify all of the other things in life that you're grateful for, all of the other ways that God provides and surrounds us with an abundance of goodness. So at breakfast, before even if it's just coffee, before you drink the coffee, before you eat the oatmeal, before you pour that bowl of cereal or make the eggs or whatever you eat you know, for breakfast in the morning, it's stopping It's acknowledging that you're not the source of everything good in your life. And you're saying, God, thank you for, maybe it's today. God, thank you for the the chance to start a new day, to be reminded that your mercies are new each and every day. God, thank you for this gift of life. God, thank you for the opportunities to share your goodness with other people. God, thank you for the, and the list can go on and on. And then you hit the next meal and you take a moment to begin to remind yourselves and to refocus and reset your perspective on all of the goodness that continues to exist in your day or your week or your year. Even if you're having a bad day, maybe you're in the midst of kind of the worst week of your life and the phone calls and the things that happened and the ways that everything got off track. Maybe that's the moment where you stop and you say, God, nothing is as I wish it was. All I see is the things that I want to be different, that I don't have in my life, the ways that life is hard, the ways that I feel taken advantage of or hurt or betrayed or manipulated or whatever the circumstances may be. And yet, God, in the midst of all of this difficult, there are still things in my life that are good, still areas of goodness, moments of joy, beautiful things in my life that you have given me, God. So help me Reset my perspective on, what's, on not what's missing, but what's present and what's available. These are ways that we can do this each and every week. So maybe for you, it's a gratitude journal. Maybe for you, it's prayers over meals. There's a, another kind of ancient Christian practice called kind of praying the office of hours. And so it's specific times throughout the day where you would go before God in prayer. Part of that would be this acknowledgement of the goodness of God in your life. I think the other kind of component of gratitude that is often overlooked is the way that generosity connects into gratitude. And I've preached several sermons recently over kind of the impact and the importance of generosity, and so I'm not going to go into detail on that today. But if you think about it, if the practice of gratitude really is the acknowledgement of the abundance of goodness that's in your life, that doesn't come from you, that's been given to you as a gift then the proper response to that gift of abundance and goodness is to begin to share it and be generous with other people. So maybe for you, that's financial. Maybe for you, that's relational or emotional. Maybe for you, where you have abundance of right now is time. And so you can be present with people. Whatever it is that we experience an abundance of goodness in, we have to recognize that we are not the source of it, that it came from somewhere else. We are temporary stewards. It is a gift. And because it's a gift to us, it can be a gift to others. And so this is how the practice of generosity is connected into the practice of gratitude. It is an outflowing of this perspective shift. It's an outflowing and it's an acknowledgement of the abundance of goodness that exists in our lives. And so I hope this week that you will make deliberate, intentional moments and opportunities to institute this practice of gratitude and of generosity. Maybe it's on your knees and you name before God the things you're grateful for. Maybe it's you write them down in a journal. Maybe it's a conversation that you have with your significant other before you go to bed and you begin to name the things that you're grateful for that day. Whatever it may look like, I hope you begin to practice it. 
Because it does change the way that we live our life. It does change our mindset and our perspective away from the ways that we need life to look a certain way, the things that might be missing in our life to the overwhelming abundance of goodness that God provides to each one of us. Let me close our time in prayer and we'll ask that God helps us in this practice of gratitude this week. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for today, this chance to gather together. God, we have so much to be grateful for. The further we look, the more we find. Because God, you are an infinite source of goodness in our life. God, this goodness we have not earned and we don't deserve, and so it's a gift. Another name for that gift of goodness, God, is grace. And so God, we thank you for the grace, this unearned, unmerited favor that you apply to each one of us. The way that this grace works in our lives, God, help us be transformed by your grace and to begin to live out this practice of gratitude and generosity in our life. Help us to be people who share your goodness with others each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.